Well, good morning again. The title of this sermon is No One is Unnoticed by God. God is caregiver. And we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. We're going to be looking at seven small verses today that are jam-packed with great things for the church to explore. That's what we're going to, de- going to be tuning into this morning. So if you have your Bibles, take them out, and we'll be jumping into that passage very soon. To prime us for the sermon this morning, I want us to think about this question. When our need is urgent and we spread it before God, the question is never about the amount of oil, but about the empty vessel. This morning, as we turn to 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7, we learn that God's provisions are never in jeopardy of being exhausted as long as we can receive and impart. In accordance to our faith, it will be done. The statement for us to be for us to ponder this morning is it's not about how much God can give, but about how much we can use. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us to know and understand this text, that we would exegete it properly, that we would look at the proper application, but that we would have serious work done with you this morning as we turn our lives to you. We know by your word, you draw close to us as we draw close to you. And some of us may not be close to you right now, So God, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit as this word is preached that you would begin to penetrate hearts and minds and bring to to our hearts and minds the things that need to be given over to you. God, I know that life change will happen today because you're a God who brings that type of stuff. So God, we, we just look to you and we ask that you would help us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, join me in God's word in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. In my Bible, the title of this section is called The Widow's Olive Oil. First, chapter 4, verse 1, The wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take away my two boys as slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you, you and your sons. Pour oil into all of the jars And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another jar. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. This is the word of God. May he add a blessing to it this morning. Okay, we're going to dive into this text. And at first, when I looked at these first seven verses a couple weeks ago, um, I was on vacation last week. And just before I went on vacation, I was, uh, sometimes I talked, I talked to Pastor Rick in the hallway about, about preaching and teaching. He's mentoring me and giving me all kinds of good tips. And one morning, uh, it was a Thursday, he was putting his sermon together, uh, the one he preached two weeks ago. And he was he was talking about drawing from my sermon and Pastor Kelvin's sermon to really get the application for his sermon. And he said it was like, it's a pretty intense text. It's, it's Elisha's going to call some mama bears out to kill, kill the youth. And it's not really a good text to preach. And then I, he was sharing all the good insight that he had worked on. And I thought, I go on vacation, then I'm going to be off for a week, and then I have to come back on Tuesday, and I have to prepare my sermon for Sunday, so I'm only going to have a couple days to put this together. I should look at the text. And at first, I looked at these verses, and I thought, what is there for us? But then I started to look in, and I believe that there is a powerful message for us this morning as we dig in. So let's look at understanding the text. A man who loved God, lived for God, worked for God, has died. That man had a wife and a couple of boys. This man who feared God had a debt when he died, and lots of us have debt 
Lots of us have debt when we die. This is one of those things. This is one of those situations. The debt has come due. She has to pay the debt. The widow is to pay the debt or provide means, her sons, to cover the work to pay for the debt. The wife of the God-fearing man comes to Elisha for help. Now, Elisha is the prophet, and he speaks on behalf of God. So, technically, this woman is going to God for help. It's a good indicator of where we should be going when we are in trouble. Some of us want to take care of things ourselves, and we get, more, we get into more trouble instead of going to God. It is common, it was common, or it is common for widows to receive help from church leadership. We see that in the Old Testament in this passage. We also see that in the early church being set up, that the widows were being taken care of by the church leadership. In this particular story, we learn that God is able and capable of helping this woman. God is able and capable of helping. Church, God is able and capable of helping you. We're going to see how God's provision is worked out in the life of this, this widow. During that time, servitude as a means of debt paying by way of labor was an acceptable, acceptable practice within the Mosaic law. You could, if you owed a debt, you could have people in your family go and work to pay off that debt. But there was a rule, after seven years, you had to take a break. And we know from Nehemiah 5.8, let me check, yep, Nehemiah 5.8 shows that sometimes if the debt wasn't paid, people would just stay on past the seven years and then it would be almost, it would come to a place of slavery. Now this widow has died, her, hu- her husband has died, he loved the Lord, he worked for the Lord, he was probably a company, part of the company of the 50 and 50 prophets, the 100 prophets that were put in caves. He's died and she's left with her two boys and this guy's coming and she's gonna take, he's gonna take the boys as slaves, it says. So it must be a big debt. It must be a very big debt. More than a seven-year kind of thing debt. So the widow goes and she presents her case to the one who speaks on behalf. She goes and talks to Elisha. And the wed- widow is met with a kind response. How can I help you? But that's not the only thing that Elisha says. He doesn't just say, how can I help you? And then here it is. He says, how can I help you? But then is followed that question up with a question, what do you have in your house? And at first the widow does what most of us do when we are asking for things, we say nothing. We don't have anything. That's why I'm asking. But she remembers that in her house, the only thing that she has left, husband's gone, kids are with her, debt guy's coming, all that she has is a small jar of olive oil. All that she has is a small jar. Small. The only thing that she has left is small. What is small to us is an opportunity for God to show how great he is. What is small to us is an opportunity for God to show how powerful and magnificent and how great of a provider that he is. And often when we look at things, we see things, this is all that I have. But if this is all that we have and we bring this to God with a a clear conscience and with faith, God can always multiply what we have that is small. What is small to God is an opportunity, to use today's lingo, for God to flex for his church. In church, this is what happens. We often miss out on the blessing because we can't see the God-sized potential in already supplied provision. We miss it. Sometimes we have everything we need with us right now. We just don't know it. This widow had everything she needed, which she thought was small and nothing, and she had a big problem ahead of her, but she had everything she needed And God was going to invite her to see how great he is. And I believe that God is going to invite us this morning in to see that maybe you have already what you need to exceed in God. See, a story like this should make us think about what we have already that is overflowing with God-sized potential. Elisha counsels the widow For he knows that the powerful potential of an all-powerful God, he knows about this, and he wants to invite 
this widow in on the action to see how God will bless her, and he gives her an imperative. He says, go around and ask all your neighbors for a jar. So this is a humbling moment. You go to the man of God, you go to God, and you ask for help, and then he invites you to bring other people into the problem. And that's humbling. And we're going to see that there is a direct result between her actions and the blessing. So she goes around and she asks five neighbors for five jars. You're going to see a blessing equivalent to five jars. If she goes and asks her neighbors for ten jars, you're going to see a blessing that is equivalent to ten jars. What if she asks the whole village? That sounds like a mighty setup of God's provision. But there is a direct connection between her effort and the blessing that will come. He sends her on a quest. She has a part to play. She needs to be active. She is not counseled just to wait around. She's not counseled just to pray more. She's actually asked to be active and to go. She is to go and she is to ask and she has to ask everyone. It actually outlines, don't just ask for a few. Like, I think Elijah knew the people of God. Sometimes we just get, we get a, we get a little bit of effort. This is not a little bit of effort kind of moment. This is a big effort moment. Don't just ask for a few. Don't just ask the people on your block. Like, go around and collect the jars. A couple years ago, Pastor Steve, who oversees the pastoral team in development so that we can do our jobs most efficient, he came to us, some of the pastors, and he said, guys, uh, I want you to look at this formula or look at this outline when you are planning and working with the church. He says, I want you to know and understand this, good, better, best. He said, every pastor should be doing good, amen? No, that should have been an amen. Like, it is, it is for us as pastors, we are to do good. That is baseline. But sometimes, good is just not good enough. Sometimes we can come to the congregation and do what is good and do what is required, but Pastor Steve was training us as elders to look for better and best practices. So good, better, best. Good is standard, best we're looking. So over the years, you're going to see that our pastors have been doing good things, but we've been getting better at those good things because we are always looking at good, better, best. It's in the back of our minds. We talk about it. Pastor Steve is always encouraging us. What's the best practices? In this example, we're going to see Elisha sets up a best practice. Let me explain it for you. Charity is good. For Christians to be able to give and bless and help people, that's a good thing. We should help people. Charity is good, but it's not best. Elisha invites this widow in for a best practice. It is okay to help people if you have excess. Even if you don't have excess and you want to help somebody, that is good. You should do that. But discipleship is best. Because when you put stock in the hands of those who are asking for help and teach them to work hard, to get in the mix and be a part of the solution, reaching the goal is best. Let me put it in another context. Parents, our kids get up on a Saturday, they ask you for 20 bucks. You give them 20 bucks. They're like, yeah, I got 20 bucks, I'm gonna party. I'm going out. Because you gave them the 20 bucks, they're not thinking about how much you worked, how much effort you put into it, how much things that you had to deal with to get that 20 bucks. They don't care because you just gave it to them. They go out and they work for that 20 bucks. It's a different story. You know how many dishes I had to wash for this 20 bucks? You know how many garbages I had to change? You know how many lawns I had to cut for this 20 bucks? They start to think different. Elisha invites the widow into this to see how we can play a part in what God is doing in his blessing. We also see a level of care within Elisha's ministry in this moment, as well as a prelude to the teachings in Galatians 6-7. In Galatians 6, 7, it says, do not, be, do not be deceived, church. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. 
Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. But verse 10, here it is. Here's the kicker. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of God. Therefore, as we have opportunity, opportunity presents itself every single day for us to engage with God. Every day. Today, you have opportunity awaiting for you to engage with God. And we are called to do good, but especially do good to the house of the believers, to the people that belong to the house of God, to the believers, to the church. So we do good to everyone, but especially to those who are of faith. Elisha invites the widow into this process so that she, she could see the powerful, providing, all, all resourced out God cares for her. So she goes and she collects the, collects the jars. She goes on her mission, go and speak to the neighbors. And Elisha commands her to go inside and close the door. You see, this is a direct indication that this miracle was a private miracle. It was a personal miracle for the widow. This was not a public sensation, but a personal promise to the widow. And that really kind of teaches us this morning that some miracles are for some people. Some miracles are not for all people. And we're going to flesh that out in application a little bit later. Why does God help this widow? Why does God care about this situation? Well, God is a promise keeper, and we know in Psalm 68.5 that God is a father to the fatherless, those who do not have a father. God says, I will take that position. I will be a father to the fatherless, and I'm a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. In, in God's holy space, in God's place where he is at, he is a defender of widows. This widow needs help. God is a promise keeper. Church, God keeps his promises. So Elisha says, you got all your jars, take your small jar of olive oil and bring it up, have one of your sons come forward and you take the small jar of olive oil and you begin to pour into the big one. And as the big jars are filled up, just set it to the side and bring another one so that you can see a constant flow of God's provision into the vessels. It's important for us to not judge power by the noise it makes. Look at the mighty thunder. We've had some thunder the last little bit, thunder and lightning happening, just pretty intense. We have a 80-pound golden doodle named Gospel. My, my wife named this dog Gospel, so when we were out walking the dog, people like this dog, it's a beautiful breed. They come up. What's your dog's name? Gospel, good news of Jesus Christ, evangelism tool. This huge dog is terrified of thunder. Any of you have dogs terrified of thunder? Yeah, what's thunder going to do, though? It's not going to hurt you. It's just loud. It's just scary. It can be frightening. But it has really no power. In comparison, look at the tiny little drops of dew. You know, those little droplets that form in the morning on grass. The little power of the dew in the morning, it's simple, but, but it is powerful in providing refreshment for God's creation. See, big things come from small deposits of faith. And small things to us are never small to God. There is so much power in simple faith. Even Jesus teaches to have simple faith, even faith the side of a mustard seed. I have mustard seeds in my office. I should have brought one out this morning. They're so tiny. You put them in your hand. They're hardly there. You put that in the ground, it grows up this mustard plant. Jesus talks about these mustard plants being able to hold birds on them because they get so big. But something so big comes from something so small. Jesus follows up that with even having a small amount of faith. You can tell a mountain to go jump in the river powerful. What is small to us is big to God. Elisha is teaching the widow and the sons 
Trust in God. What you see as something that is small is not small in the economy of the kingdom of Christ. You see a small jar, but to God, it's never about the provision. It's not about how much God can give, but about how much we can use, or better yet, need to start using. We see this teaching in the Old Testament and in the New. We see in the Exodus when God's people called out of Egypt, they go out and God provides as they march around the desert. God provides manna and he provides quail, but he, he gives an imperative with the provision. He says, only take what you need for the day so that you will be constantly reminded that we go to God. Jesus comes onto the scene He's doing all these amazing things. Jesus' disciples see Jesus praying. They go to Jesus. They say, Jesus, teach us to pray. In the, in the prayer, he says, give us our what? Daily, daily bread. All right, we need to talk more than this. We need to get vocal because it's going to get fired up in about five minutes. All right, so we're going to have this, this dialogue back and forth. Give us our what? daily bread. We got to be dependent on God for those simple things. God knows what we need before we even pray. Is that amen? That's right. So the woman begins to pour and pour and pour from her little jar of olive oil into these big jars. She pours until she runs out of vessels to hold the provision of God. No more vessels, no more oil. The provision of oil didn't stop until the vessels were full. No vessel, no provision. God is always providing his provisions to be held in appropriate vessels. God is always providing his provisions to be held in appropriate vessels. This is so rich for us. I can't wait to get the application. Sometimes we just want to rush past it, get right to the application. There's such good stuff for us this morning. Let's finish out our text. So the vessels are full and the oil stops and they have what they need, right? She has everything she needs because the Lord has provided, amen? No, that was a trick. She does not. She has a bunch of oil. The debt collector is coming to get money or her sons, not oil. She can't pay in oil. She still has an issue. Sometimes as God's church, we do that. God provides for us and we stop. We just stop. And we're like, okay, I got this. this. This must take care of it. No, there was still more action that needed to happen. She has a bunch of oil. She has a, a provision, but it's not the right provision for what she needs. So she goes back to the man of God. She goes back to Elisha and says, everything that you've done has come true, and I got all this oil. And Elisha says to her, go and sell the oil and pay your debt. And whatever is left, you can have for you and your boys. This is a fantastic story. But what do we learn? Well, when our need is great and we spread it before God, the question is never about the amount of oil, but about the empty vessel. And I believe that six things, there are six things we learn about provision from 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. Now, if you've got a little fill-in-the-blank sheet, the first half of that, I put it as a quiz. So you can mark yourself. Maybe you got five out of five or 10 out of 10, without many answers. Be honest, the Lord sees. But the second half is a fill in the blank section. And we're going to have lots of stuff coming up on the screen. I'm going to go through the first six things that we learned from a provision from 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7, really quickly. And then I'm going to break them down for the remainder of the 24 minutes that we have. And I'll end on time. <laughs> hey, lunch is important too, right? Well, we learned six things about provision from 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. Let me share those with you. One, don't come to God empty-handed. That's the first thing that we learned. Don't come to God empty-handed. Number two, do expect to be a part of the solution. Do expect to be part of the solution. Number three, don't expect, to go, don't expect God to do what he did for another. Some miracles are specific and some miracles are private. We'll flesh that out. Do follow the instructions of God's word precisely. Do expect to receive from God. We get this teaching from Jesus. Ask, seek, knock. Matthew 7, 8. 
Don't expect, number six, don't expect to keep everything you receive. You are also called to impart. So these are the six things that we see from verses one through seven in 2 Kings chapter four, and I'm gonna flesh them out right now. Let's start with number one. Do not come to God empty-handed, verse two. Do not come to God empty-handed. Let's consider this question when it comes to provision. We know that provision is not an issue from God, right? God has everything, owns everything, supplies everything. That's basic, basic Bible. The question is not about what God can give or do, but it might be, let's kind of put this on the table, let's have a little chit-chat about this. It might be that we have already the supply provision, but we're not handling it in the correct way. Stay with me for a moment on this. Elisha asks the woman, what do you have in your house? My question for us, and I reflected on this personally prior to writing the sermon, is what do you already have that God has provided that you're not using? What is it that God has already provided that you're not using? This question intrigues me greatly. The teaching here is, why would God give you more when what he has given you already, you are not using in a proper way? Here's the thing, church. Sometimes we go to God and we pray, and we pray for all kinds of things, right? Like the vast majority of things we're praying for, it's, the span is huge. But sometimes we go to God and we ask for things from God and we don't even have the bandwidth to be able to use the stuff that, he want, that we are requesting. Because we have all of these other things that God has already given us and we just kind of put them on the shelf or we turn our back on them or that was last week's prayer. We got a new week, this is a new week. I think it would be a great surprise to us if we took inventory of what God has already given to us already, but that provision may be lying dormant or even forgotten about. Like I did quick reference in my own life, and a lot of the times when we're asking for things, we're always thinking sometimes in the process or in the, in the, in the flow of materialistic things, money, poverty, things like that. But what has God given to you that you may not be using? And I was thinking about this this week. God has given me his spirit. He's given me a calling. He's given me a fatherly responsibility. He's given me a pastoral responsibility. He has provided an income for me so that I need to manage my finances. He's given me health that I need to manage. He's given me spiritual gifts. And the word of God declares that Everyone who is in Christ has at least one spiritual gift, and majority of us have more than one, and that gift needs to be exercised inside the body, not outside the body, in the body. So I was thinking, God has given me multiple gifts. He's also given me access to him through prayer and through his mighty and powerful word. And the question for me, but also the question for you is, what are we doing with it? What are we doing with this stuff that God has already supplied to us? Because some of us are standing in our kitchen looking at our cupboard and we're saying, I don't know if I have what I, I need to cover this week. And God says, yes, you do. See, I think the question is the same to me as it is to the widow, as it is to you, what do you have? If I have all these gifts from the Lord, am I maximizing these gifts to the God-sized potential before seeking more provisions from God? Or do I need to reevaluate what I have and make changes so I can see the blessing versus asking God to add more things to the list of things I'm not using properly? Settle this in your heart today. It's not about how much God can give. We know God can give. But it's about how much you can use. And sometimes we can go to God and ask God for things and we don't have the bandwidth to probably use it. And God may not answer your prayer. God may not answer my prayer because I have what I need. I just need to reevaluate my resources. Most of us are not like the widow. Most of us have abundance of things. Most of us have a lot of stuff. 
that we can look at, to, we can reevaluate. But some of us, maybe you're here today, maybe you are in that place. When you look in your life, you feel a drought, you feel like everything is being taken away, and it seems like all you have is this olive oil. And if something doesn't change, something's gonna happen. And you're trusting in God, but there is fear welling up in your hearts because you're thinking, all I have, God, is this olive oil. It's all I have. Whether you have much or you have little, what do you bring to God? When we come to God, we don't come to God empty-handed. We come with everything that we have, whether it's much or whether it's little. We come to God with it all. And we say, God, will you help? Will you help me with this? Church, I want to ask a very important question. What did you bring to church today as an offering to the Lord? What did you bring? What did you bring in this morning as an offering to God? Every week we come in, we get our favorite seats, we sit down. What did you bring today as an offering to God? Because a lot of us are walking in every week with a lot of stuff we're praying about and we're coming in empty-handed. And if you're asking for God to take away hurt in your life, if there's hurt happening in your life, did you bring your pain to church today? Did you bring it in with you? Because that's something that you can gather up and you can bring and you can hand that over to Jesus. And Jesus... I don't have much today, but I know I have this pain in my heart and I want to give that to you. What did you bring to church today? Some of us have been praying for a long time for peace. Peace within marriage, peace within parents and children, peace within our households, peace within our community, peace within our world. Did you bring your anxiety, your depression, that fear? Did you bring that to church today as an offering of God to God? Because that's what we need to do. We don't come to church. We don't come to God empty-handed. We come and we present these things because Jesus said his burden is light. And week after week, the church walks strapped down and burdened for no reason. When we have promises like that. So the question this morning is, what did you bring this morning? Mentally think about what you need to bring today because today you can give that over to Jesus. Maybe mentally, I don't want you to get up and run to your car right now, but maybe in your mind, in your heart, you need to go get some stuff and it needs to be presented today and you don't leave until it's gone because we keep asking God for these things, this peace, this happiness, this help and you're bringing stuff you're bringing the request, but you're not bringing anything that God can take. I believe God wants to take it from you today. That's the first thing. What can I bring? Second, number two, do not, do expect to be a part of the solution. Verse three. Elisha sends this widow away with objectives that will set her up, will set her up to see the blessings of God in her life and what he's about to bring. This widow was challenged to be a part of the request by going and collecting jars from her neighbors. Like I said before, we find this so hard to do, right? We find it so hard to ask brothers and sisters for help. Everything needs to be a big secret. Everything needs to be just my privacy. I put up the privacy screen. Like, you can't know what's going on in my life because it's just not appropriate. Her going to each door, knocking, hey, hey, how's it going? Can I borrow a jar? What do you need a jar for? You don't have anything. Oh, I need a jar. I have a directive from God. Hey, can I borrow a jar? This was a, a, a hard moment for, for this widow, maybe, to go and ask her neighbors. I know it's a hard thing for most Christians, is to ask for help. But Elisha wants to set her up. See, this is a good reminder that when we ask God for something, 
we should be thinking how we play a part in that request being honored. Like, a lot of people don't like that. A lot of, a lot of preachers have taken that out of context. And the, we don't help God. God doesn't need our help. Well, God does invite us to be part of the solution with things. See, in our salvation, justification, we are deemed not guilty by God. We are justified by the actions of the perfect life of Jesus. God does all that. And then regeneration, God given us a new heart and a, a, a new mind to know and understand what God's will is and to actually believe in our heart. A, a, heart of, a heart of flesh is given to us. He takes out the heart of stone. That's called regeneration. All done by God. We play no part. God says we are an enemy of him, but when salvation happens, we are brought into his family. The dividing wall of hostility is taken down. We are not an enemy of God. We are considered a child of God, all done by God. But then there's this other thing called sanctification. And positionally, we are sanctified in God. We are saved. But Paul brings on this teaching that we are saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. And that means that we interact with God on things. And as we obey the Holy Spirit, as we listen to God, as we put things into practice, our life changes over time. We do play a part. Why would that not work in this situation? Like, I'm just going to pray and like, just, I do nothing? Sometimes we have to pray and ask God, okay, how can I help God with this request? What obstacles can I remove so this request can be filled? I have this pain in my heart. I brought, Jesus, I have this pain. I want to give it to you. I actually didn't know I could bring that. I thought I had to bring money offerings. But I know that this pain is got to go, and I want you to bring healing and peace into my life. But I also know that I keep doing a bunch of things that contribute to this pain, Maybe I should stop doing these things. That's where you come in. You reevaluate some of the situations going on in your life. What obstacles can you, re you remove? How can you help God with re this request? What can I be doing in the process as I'm waiting for the Lord? How can I prepare for this request? We are expected to work with God. This is how our sanctification is set up. We work with God through the Holy Spirit to grow in, grow us, and grow us in what we have been given. We play a part too. So part one of our request as we go to God is, what can I bring today? Part two is, what do I need to do? Part three is, do not expect God to do what he did for another. Some miracles are specific and some miracles are private. We see this in verse four. See, Elijah counsels the widow to go behind closed doors like a veil is set up. This is not for everyone to see. This is not for all the neighbors to see. It's not for the whole church to see. This is something that is gonna be happening between you and God. So just go behind closed doors. This miracle was specific and particular to this one person. And God works like that, and we as the church need to be okay with that. And a lot of us, we're not okay with that. Sometimes we see God working in the lives of other people, and we get bitter. We get jealous. We get upset. Oh, God, why are you blessing them like that? You actually, sometimes you go... And ask that person, what are you praying? What words are you using? You take that verbatim, you go pray the same thing and God doesn't give it to you. Sometimes God gives to one and he doesn't give to the other and we have to be okay with that because God is God and his ways are not like our ways. And, and that information, that's hard for us sometimes, isn't it? It's so hard sometimes when we see others getting the things that we are praying for. So what do we do with information like that? Well, it comes down to our attitude. Our attitude needs to be one of praise and worship. Praise and worship. This rhythm in our life of praise and worship. Instead of jealousy and bitterness, 
We need to be thankful and caring towards our, our in Christ family who has received from God. If God answers a prayer, we celebrate. If God provides for a need, we celebrate. If God heals one of our family members, we, we celebrate. Jaffia gave my wife and I this little plate. It's, as I walked through my, my living room to the kitchen, this little white plate on a stand. I look at it every day and I've adopted this as the motto for my life. Until further notice, celebrate everything. Until further notice, celebrate everything that's going on. Because God in heaven is for you and not against you and he has given you everything that you need so you have everything you need to celebrate him well. Until further notice, celebrate. Church, you can celebrate this morning. You can leave here, get back in your car, drive home or go to lunch and celebrate because God in heaven is for you and not against you if you are in relationship with him. Praise and worship we need to get in the habit of giving praise and worship to Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Amen? What can I bring? What do I need to do? What is my attitude in this request? Number four, do follow the instructions of God's word precisely. Elisha gave her specific instructions to follow in order for the woman to see and experience the power of God. This part is bang on for the church. Do not expect to see the power and presence of God in your life if you're willfully choosing to ignore his instructions. Some of us are baffled that God is not working in our lives. Like, I prayed the prayer. I went to the meeting. I said the little thing. I, sat, I stood up. I sat back down. And then the rest of your life is a free-for-all. And you're, you're baffled that God is not working in your life. If you're willfully choosing to ignore his instructions, you will not see the power and presence of God. See, this part is huge. My sermon a few weeks ago about there must be more than this is all about this. We are not seeing the power and presence of God in our lives because our hands are full of things that kill, steal, and destroy. And we need to put those things down. We need to leave them. We, we can't just temporarily set them up in the corner for some time when you feel a little low, you can go back to them. We gotta dispose of them. You gotta be killing sin or sin's gonna be killing you. These things that destroy our lives, we pick up our word, we pick up our cross, we come as the church to encourage each other. We share the testimony and power of God. You know how powerful the testimony of God is? Someone's life is falling apart here in this service today. And I don't know that specifically, I'm just assuming, because none of our lives are perfect, we're all in need of Jesus, but somebody is really hurting today. And if we come in and we don't testify to the power of God and that he can actually change lives and we just come in and sing a few songs and we go out and there is no challenge, how will they ever know that God is powerful? It's not just on the preacher. It's not just on the worship leader. It's on the church to demonstrate it day after day that God is powerful. And that happens when the church obeys the Lord. We need to follow the word of God precisely. And a good reflection question is, what do I need to start doing today that I know is true? What needs to change? This week, I just felt impressed upon me that there were lives in this room that would be changed. I've heard... I've heard it said that we can take many steps away from God, but it only takes one step to come back to him. So if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Christ and you're way over here, that can change. And if you're here today and you have no personal relationship with God and you're, you're in trouble spiritually, God is waiting. I believe God waits on standby every single week when we walk through these doors just standing around. You want to talk about that today? 
Oh, no, you're not going to talk about that today. Okay. He's so patient with us, isn't he? Hey, oh, it's a new, a new Sunday. You want to talk about that today? Oh, no, okay, you packed it back up. You're going to take it home with you. Like, he waits on standby for us to talk to him about this stuff, to give it over to him. Someone, many, many ones, could be at the point where they need to turn things over to Jesus, and today could be that day. What can I bring? What do I need to do? What's my attitude in this request? What areas do I need to get right with God? Don't pack it up and leave. Deal with Jesus. He shows grace upon grace upon grace. He's slow to anger and wanted no one to perish. Come, make your request known to him. What do you have to give to him today? Number five, do expect to receive from God. Verse six, the widow did exactly what she was told and her request was honored. But even more than that, she was blessed with more. Church, God's people should expect God's blessing when you are living in faithful dependence on God. God's people should expect God's blessing when we are living in faithful dependence of God, on God. And some of our church brothers and sisters who, whose theology is a little slanted in this area, they're not doing us a good job. They're not doing Jesus a good job at exegeting their passage, these passages very well because they are promising you health, wealth, and prosperity. And that is not a given. Even in Jesus' priestly prayer to the Father, he said, Father, do not remove them from the earth, but strengthen them. Our life here is not about comfort. It's about obedience. And all of us are on different levels of that. And you know what? It's okay. Because I believe that God continues to finish his work that he started in our lives. You are not disqualified. You are not out of the game if you're turning your eyes up to Jesus. He will help you. We should expect the blessing. The scriptures speak repeatedly on how we are to seek the Father, ask the Father, request from the Father, and he will provide. So many examples of God speaking to us in this manner, but we need to be making these requests in faith and obedience your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. May your will be done in my life, even though I make a mess of things, God, I come here with this. This is all I have. This is what I have to offer you today, this morning, as I came into church. This is what I got. What do you think Jesus is gonna say to you? You think he's gonna say, go away? You're bothering me? He's probably going to give you a go directive, but it's not go away. God never says that you, will, that you have to be poor or live in such a way that you are barely getting by. But really what, our, what is important is our attitude towards the provision of God. And we cannot be hoarding the provisions of God. This leads me to our, my last Part six, so what can I bring? What do I need to do? What is my attitude? What areas do I need to get right? Am I asking in obedience and faith? And number six, don't expect to keep everything you receive. We are also called to impart. The widow follows the direction of Elisha and goes out and sells what the Lord has done for her. She sells the oil. The widow didn't pack up and run from her debt collector. Like she didn't come to the point where after the market closed that day and she sold all the oil and she looks at her sons and says, hey, I got a bunch of money, let's go south. She went back and followed the direction of God and she did what she was called to do and she honored her debt and she paid it off. And because she followed what the Lord had asked her to do, she was blessed and blessed greatly because it says that she was able to live off what was left her and her sons. So there must have been some provision left over. You see, she didn't give excuses. 
She brought what she had. She followed the instructions. She believed in faith, went and sold the oil. And in the end, she was blessed and she was forgiven of her debt. This last one is important for God's people. We need to think about what we have as excess and what we have as access for God to take and either help us or help others. But we are not called to keep everything that God gives to us. We have to look for those opportunities every day that are, that are being presented to do good, especially to the believers. We can't keep it all for ourselves. You are called to lead your family well. You are called to provide, to work hard, and to obey God. You are called to not hoard treasures on earth. Jesus says, store your treasures in heaven we see clear examples in the early church and in the Old Testament that about using what we have to be a blessing. We are a blessing church. God never tells you to do all you can to get all you, all you can to keep all you can. In fact, Jesus tells us often that we need to look to, to bless others, to share with others, to provide for the orphan, to bless the widow, to care for the hurting, to visit the imprisoned. God's church is called to be smart, God's church is called to be a blessing to the world. There is nothing like God's church in this world that can compare to us. That's why we are called called out ones. Ecclesia, called out ones. We are called to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. So when we're requesting from God, what can I bring? What do I need to do? What is my attitude in the request? What areas do I need to get right before God? Am I asking in obedience and faith? Am I willing to be a blessing? I love this story of faith and care. I love how Elisha handled this widow. I love the story of provision. I love the effort given by the widow that she worked with her family and all in reproach. Moms, it's not all on you. Dads, it's not all on you. Rally the family together and all in. If you're single, it's not all on you. Get into the church. Work with the brothers and sisters. I love that our God allows us a part to play in the blessing, both receiving and giving. And I especially love that our God is Jehovah Jireh, our provider, Church, we can go to God. God is caregiver. No one is unnoticed by God. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this message this morning. And I pray, God, as, as you're listening to this prayer, God, I just pray that you would just work in lives today. God, I pray that people would just be coming in and giving, giving those things over to you that you would help them. I pray that you would save those who do not know you personally today, God. I pray that you would awaken them in the name of Jesus. I pray that your church that has been given the fire of the Holy Spirit would stay ablaze and that we would testify to the goodness of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy this morning. We as your church love you deeply. And we know that you're going to finish your work. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.